This morning, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Last week, we looked at the miraculous turnaround that the church in Corinth had. They had gone from being a carnal and a worldly church to a repentant church. Uh, if you remember, Paul told them that their godly sorrow had produced repentance in their life, led them to salvation. Where we talked about worldly sorrow will lead you to death. It's just feeling bad about what you're doing. It's not changing your actions. But godly sorrow will change the way that you live and lead you to salvation. And they had, because of their repentance, that which what once was a burden to Paul and Titus, now the church had become a blessing to Paul and Titus. Now, over the next two chapters... The Apostle Paul is going to be talking about giving, specifically financial giving, uh, to the church in Corinth. As he encourages the church, he instructs them, and he challenges the church in Corinth, there will be a lot that we can learn also. But before we talk about, beginning, before we talk about giving, and we're going to be talking about giving for the next couple of chapters, and I know people are going, oh man, I left my checkbook at home. No, that's not, that's not what we're looking for. We're, not, we're none of that stuff. But I do have to dispel a few common myths. Uh, if you're a visitor, we don't want your money. We just want you to visit and enjoy our fellowship and enjoy the teaching of God's word. That's not what this is about. Here at Calvary Chapel, we teach expositionally. We teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So when we come across a topic in the scriptures, we teach it, whether we like it or not, whether it's a popular topic or not. Uh, I understand how teaching on giving can be a little sensitive. Some people would say, oh, he's teaching on giving. The church must be broke. We're not broke. No, no doors aren't closing up. None of those things. Actually, it's just the opposite. We're extremely blessed as a church financially. I just want to give you a quick glimpse into that. If we stay on our current course, and you guys are giving great, by the way. If we stay on our current course, by the end of the year, we'll pay off our mortgage on our building. So we have been saving money, putting it in a savings account, hoping to get our mortgage paid off. And I think if we stay on our trajectory, by the end of the year, we'll be able to pay off a, what was a 30-year mortgage in six years. So the Lord is blessing us and you guys are giving. Uh, so, so don't change what you're doing. Keep going. And that will allow us to then support missionaries and more things like that uh, going forward. So, so we are, we are not broke. Uh, the other thing people say, well, pastor's talking about giving. Offerings must be down. No, no, offerings aren't down. It's, it's, everything's fine. We, we come across it in scripture. We teach on it. And, and the other thing people say is, uh, pastor's talking about giving. He must want to raise. No, no, I, I, I don't want to raise. Uh, if you're not aware, I don't get paid at the church. The church gives me nothing. Uh, I, let me say that back. That I don't receive dollars and cents from the church for what I do as the pastor of Calvary Chapel Cumberland. I have a, a business that I'm part of down in Florida. It provides for my family financially and has for quite some time. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the pastor getting paid by the church, nothing at all. But I think that if I was to take a salary from the church, it would be greedy on my behalf. And I, I would become a burden to the church rather than a blessing to the church. And again, there's nothing wrong with the pastor getting paid. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to say that I'm better because I don't get paid. I just don't need to at this time in my life. If, the, if something changes, I, that might change. I might all of a sudden, you know what, I can't eat. I need to get paid. And that's perfectly okay. But at this season, I can be a blessing and not be a financial burden to the church. So people say, well, you do it for free. No, no. I, I, believe, I, I believe so heartily in eternity that I am putting these rewards in eternity. So rather than take dollars and cents here on this earth, I believe that what I do here as a pastor will be stored up in eternity for me, and I'll receive my blessings for all of eternity later. So yes, I'm receiving, I'm, I'm receiving support, I'm receiving blessing, but it's going to be received in eternity, so I don't have to receive it financially here. Uh, I want you to also know that as a church, we believe in financial transparency. 
Every year we have a meeting at the end of January, beginning of February. I'll sit down, I'll have a meeting, I'll announce it ahead of time if you're interested in numbers, because some people are numbers people. They look at everything, I wonder how much that costs, I wonder what that costs. You come on in, I'll tell you exactly, I'll lay out all of our expenses, I'll tell you what it costs to run the radio station, I'll tell you how it all works out, I'll tell you what percentage the radio station brings in and supports, and I lay all that out there. And if you can't wait till January or February, that's fine, come see me. I'll be glad to tell you. I'll be glad to share anything that you need to know. You might not like the answer I give you. You might not agree with the answer I give you, but I have nothing to hide. I'll be glad to share with you uh, things financially about the church if you're, if you're interested in that. So just come see me and we can sit down and talk about that. Giving to the Lord is an important part of being a Christian. However, I got to tell you, it's one of those topics that I really don't like teaching on. I'm not a very good fundraiser. I'm not that... I, 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 don't, I don't do real well at asking people for money. I, I, I firmly believe in my heart where God guides, God provides. And if God's not providing, then you really need to seriously question, is God guiding? I, I believe that. I've lived that. You know at our church we don't take an offering. Uh, we never have. We never will. The offering box is in the back. It's between you and the Lord. And I know the statistics say that if we took an offering, we could raise more support. I'm not interested in any more support than what the Lord has for us. And I believe he's perfectly capable of putting on your hearts what you need to give to him. And I don't need to get in the middle of that relationship between you and him. It's between you and him. But I still have an obligation as a pastor here at Calvary Chapel to teach you what the Bible says about giving. Now, I will warn you, some of you might be surprised at what you hear. Because a lot of what I'm going to share with you, you may not have ever heard taught about giving. You may have only had 10% pounded into you week after week or month after month. And I understand that that can be a burden. I understand how that can work. And this morning, as we pick up in chapter 8, verse 1, hopefully your eyes are going to be open as Paul tells us how the church in Macedonia was giving and how he's encouraging the church in Corinth to give. I believe we will see what he has to say to us as well. So chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 9, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That means their giving. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. The Apostle Paul begins this section by saying, moreover, in other words, because of your repentant heart, because of my confidence in you, which he had shared in the previous verse, the end of chapter 7, because of my confidence in you, I want, you to, I want to make you aware of something. 
I need to tell you guys something. That's what he's talking about here. I want to show you, make you aware of the grace of God that has been bestowed upon the churches in Macedonia. This letter is going to the church in Corinth. Corinth is in the southern part of Greece. Macedonia is in the northern part of Greece. The southern part of Greece, the region was known as Achaia. Macedonia was the region in the northern part of Greece. And it included places like Thessalonica, where Paul would write his letter to the Thessalonians. It included places like Philippi, where he would write to the Philippians. And it included places like Berea, where, you, where, where he would write to, be, to search the scriptures like the Bereans. So that's what was going on up in the north. So what was this grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches in Macedonia? What is it that you're trying to tell us, Paul? There in verse 2, he tells us rather clearly that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or their giving. The churches in the area of Macedonia, they were going through a difficult season. They were going through a difficult season both physically because they were suffering by those who opposed the gospel, but they were also in a very difficult season financially. There was financial suffering taking place. You see, when the Romans took the region of Macedonia, it was once ruled by Alexander the Great, they took all of the wealth with it. They left the people, but they left them extremely poor. When Paul says their deep poverty, I want you to understand what it really means. The people in Macedonia were in deep poverty. It literally means they were, they were in rock bottom destitution. Like dirt poor, if you will. Like way down at the bottom. It, it's used to describe a beggar having nothing, begging for food, having nothing. And it doesn't even say, it, it, it goes even a little bit further. It's not just what you have. There's no hope of getting out of it. There's no hope of winning the lottery. There's no hope of getting a better job. There's no hope of college and a career. There's no hope. This is where you are, and this is where you will stay for the rest of your life. There is no way to improve your position in life. Interesting. These Christians in Macedonia were in this deep poverty, yet there was an abundance of joy that Paul speaks about. There's an abundance of joy in their life, and he says it could be seen in their giving. Their joy was causing them to give. And I want you to notice a couple of things. Their joy in life wasn't tied to the size of their bank accounts. Let me say that again. Their happiness, their joy, it didn't come from a filled up, overflowing bank accounts. True joy is never tied to financial prosperity, although we think it is sometimes, don't we? If I only had a little bit more. If I only could just pay off my credit card debt, if I could only get out of debt, if I could only get my, if I could win the lottery, well, I'd give the church 10%. If I could only get just a little bit more, then I would find joy. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Trust me. True joy is only found in Christ. Only found in Christ. That is the only place. Here's a picture of the Christians in Macedonia, literally at the bottom of the barrel financially, and they have joy. And what are they doing? They're giving of what they have. Because they understand that my joy comes from my life in Christ. It doesn't come from my financial situation. Because your financial situation will change. Don't you know that to be true? It doesn't come from your health, because your health will change doesn't come from your relationship status because that may change for one reason or another. Your joy in your life has to come from your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the Christians in Macedonia were in this deep poverty. 
yet there's this abundance of joy in their life. And it could be seen in their giving. And I want you to be very clear. I want to be clear and you to understand their joy wasn't a result of their giving. It wasn't like they gave and then they felt good about themselves and they were happy. It could be seen. Their joy was a symptom of their giving. They gave because they were joyful. They gave to the Lord because they were joyful. When you understand who you are in Christ and what Christ has done in you and through you and with you and the promises that you have giving back to him is joyful it's not it's not burdensome it's, it's not something that you should weigh you down you give because you realize what you've been given not because you have to give it's no different than any other change in your life when you first come to christ things begin to change your desire to give back to the one who's doing the work should come naturally look what paul says there in verse three he says for i bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Paul says, let me tell you about their giving. I want you to see that the Macedonians gave in two specific ways. Number one, they gave according to their ability. Number two, they gave willingly, freely. Not begrudgingly, not out of being burdened, they gave freely. When we give, it should be the same way. When you give to the Lord, it should be according to your ability. According to your ability. You may not necessarily give a large dollar amount. You might go, well, I only have a dollar to give. Well, if that's according to your ability and you give to the Lord, you're going to be blessed for that. It needs to be according to, it might be according to your ability. It might be a small amount. That's not what's important. What's important is the heart that says, I want to give. It's not the, about the dollar amount. It might be less than everybody else is giving, but it's according to your ability. It's according to the, what the Lord has given you. I have personally sat with couples uh, and individuals that have come into my office and they have been bothered because they couldn't meet some standard of giving that was placed upon them by a pastor. Some pastor somewhere said, you've got to give 10% before taxes. And when you stand and look at their finances, they can't afford to give 10%. There's just no way that it can happen. It's impossible. And they say, well, what do I do? I'm, I'm not right with God if I don't give 10%. I said, your heart has to be right with God first. You see, it's not about the amount you give. It's about the heart that you're giving with. Here's what I always tell people in that situation. You pray, and you find out how much God wants you to give every week, and then you give it faithfully. You give it faithfully every single week, and watch if he doesn't bless that. And I have watched people through years of that increase and increase and increase and increase. What starts out as $5 will go to 10 to 20 to 40 to 80 to 100 to 500. As their life changes, their giving changes. Because they're giving because they want to give. They're not giving under a burden. On the other hand, what if somebody's really wealthy? What if somebody's really wealthy? They need to give according to their ability. They need to give to the Lord according to their ability. They're, sometimes wealthy people get off the hook because they only give 10%. What do you mean? The 10% is a lot. It depends on how much you make whether 10% is a lot. For someone that makes a whole lot of money, 10% can be next to nothing. They could lose that and, and, and it means nothing to them. But for someone who makes a little, and we'll look at those numbers in detail a little bit later, it can be everything. You see, we give according to our ability. And there's sometimes that there's people that have been gifted by the Lord in business. Perhaps they're an entrepreneur. Perhaps they make lots of money. Perhaps that's, that's their calling in life is to do business. And they realize, you know what, I'm called to do this. And I may never go on a missions trip. I may never 
teach the word of God before people, but I can support a radio station that does. I can support a group that's going on a missions trip. I can support a church that's going out, and they're all part of the process. They're working over here, earning the funds to, to get the work done over here. It's all the way that God works in his economy. And yet there's someone over here who can barely give a few dollars, but yet they faithfully give. And this man might be giving thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. They're both getting the same reward in heaven. It's not like he gets more because he gave more. It's not like they get less because they gave less. It's tied to the heart of the giving, not to the dollar amounts. We need to make sure that we understand that. When you give, like Paul's telling the Corinthian church, the Macedonians, they gave freely and willingly. Don't ever let yourself be guilted into giving, especially in the church. Don't give out of emotion. If you didn't walk in here planning on giving an offering today, keep it. Well, I didn't know we were talking about giving. I'd have brought my checkbook. No, I'd rather you didn't. Don't give a dollar more than you expected to give when you walked in here today. That's not what the purpose of this message is. The purpose of this message is so you can see what God requires of giving. Our giving should be freely. It should be voluntarily. We don't need to be moved by emotions. I remember when I was a young man, I was probably 14 or 15 years old. I was sitting in a church. I was trying to find my way. I was told that this is the church that I was supposed to go to, and I went to it, and I can remember the pastor getting up on the stage, and he was, it was a giving message, and they had this thing where you would, you, you, they would play a worship song, and you would get out of the seat, and you would come up to the front, and there was a, a bucket in the front, like a pot or something, and you would put your, your money in the pot, and you would all stream around, and every, every row would go at a time, and they would drop their money in the pot. I didn't like that. I didn't know what was wrong with it. Now I've come to know why they do that. You know that you'll increase your giving by about 40% is what the statistics tell you. So if I would get you guys out of your seat and put a pot up here and we'd walk around and get you emotionally, I could increase our offerings by 40%. I don't want those dollars. And neither does the Lord. They're, not, they're, not, they're, they're, just, they're just emotional giving. But what this pastor did was he told me that if I didn't give, and he was speaking to the church, but I felt as though he was speaking to me, and this is what he said. He said, the roof's going to fall in next week. He said, the roof needs to be replaced. If you guys don't give, you're not going to make it. It's, 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 the church isn't going to be here. And so then he marched us around and we gave and he looked and he said, that's not enough. We're going to have to do it again. And he he did the same thing again. And we went through it a couple times. And I'm sitting here as a young man going, this doesn't really seem right. And here's what went through my mind. If the roof's going to fall in, you didn't plan properly. Because we all know a roof only lasts about 15 or 20 years. Why didn't we save enough money to put a roof on in 15 or 20 years? Now, it's not like something crazy happened. But yet he paraded us around. He paraded us around. What was he looking for? He was looking for that emotional string, that, that heart string that would just, I want you to give. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul says that their giving was freely and willingly. In fact, I will tell you that if you don't want to give to the Lord, do not do it grudgingly. Keep it. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need, he wants to, us to give so that he can bless us for it. Because he realizes the heart that gives is the heart that's been changed by him. He understands that. That's why he does it. If you don't want to part with your cash, keep it. Giving should be freely. It should be willingly. And it should be with joy to the Lord. If it's not those things, probably not even necessary to give. Notice there the Macedonians begged Paul to receive the gift. I can just imagine as Paul's, as Titus is there, no, no, we can't take it. No, you, you guys are too poor. You keep it. No, no, we want to give. No, no, you, you guys need it more than we do. And they said, no, but it's our blessing to give. Please receive it. Please receive the gift that we're giving. They didn't have much to give, but they saw giving as a privilege. And it tells us there in the scripture 
They were willing to go beyond their ability, beyond what I could actually give. This proves to us that a person's willingness to give isn't as much about as what's in their bank account as what's in their heart. If you think, if I had more money, then I would give more, it's not about that. It's about your, what you give is a picture of your heart, is what he's talking about. It's not about what's in your bank account, it's about when your heart. Giving is more about faith than it is about finances. It's more about realizing who God is, who I am, what he's done for me, and I just want to give back a little bit. And I'm willing to give as much as I can. The amount in your bank account might affect how much you can give, but it should never affect your willingness to give. And please don't underestimate the value of a small gift. It makes a difference to the Lord. It's not about the dollars and cents. It's about the heart of his people. Remember the widow's mite? Remember the story where she gave the widow's mite? Two widow's mites. What impressed Jesus wasn't the size of the woman's offering. What impressed him was what she had left over afterwards. The scripture tells us she gave all that she had. She gave all that she had. The money she would use to perhaps buy her next meal, she gave. And it wasn't because a pastor or a TV preacher told her that she would get rich if she planted a seed of faith. It was because she realized who God was and she wanted to give to him in some way what I want to give back to him. And she gave all that she had. She gave all that she had. She didn't just throw God a tip. Let me just give you a tip, God. I'll throw you a few bucks. No, she gave sacrificially. And that's what Paul's impressed with about the Macedonians. They're giving all they have. They're giving more than they have. In other words, their giving cost them something. Perhaps they had to skip a meal. Perhaps they had to go without. Perhaps whatever the case was, it cost them something. Notice there in verse 5, Paul tells us they went far beyond what they had hoped for. And not only as we had hoped... But they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Notice the key there. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave to us by the will of God. Note the priorities of the Macedonians. Before they gave the money to God, they first gave themselves. That's what God really wants, isn't it? He wants us. Too many folks are trying to buy God off with a few bucks. They try to erase their guilt and shame with a few dollars. No, it doesn't work that way. They do just enough to pacify their own conscience. They give, God to, get, they give to God to get off their back, to get a pastor off their back, to give, fine, I gave a little bit. Here's the problem. Here's what we need to understand. God could care less about your money until he has your heart. If he doesn't have you, he doesn't want your money. Keep it. Put it back in the bank somewhere. Go do whatever you want with it. But he wants your heart. He wants your mind, your soul, and your strength. He wants you first. And then giving becomes a symptom, not a problem in your life. Because you've been given much, you will be then give much. On the flip side of all this, if you say, I've given it all to God. He's my Savior. He's my God. Everything, I serve him. I surrender all. Why do we have such a hard time giving just a few dollars or a few percent of our income? Why is that so difficult for us sometimes? The answer is because we want to keep more for ourselves. Because it's not about, think about this way. Giving is not about what we give, it's about what we keep. That'll affect the way that you give. 
I read this story, I thought it was cute. In medieval times when armies were converted to Christianity, many of the soldiers were baptized, holding their right hand out of the water. It was a way of saying they were giving everything to the Lord, except their sword hand, just in case they had to fight and kill. I'm giving you everything, Lord, but I gotta keep this hand out because I gotta fulfill my duty as a soldier. Obviously, they didn't fully understand. We're gonna leave that part out. But today, it seems that people are baptized holding their wallets out of the water. Lord, you can have everything except my finances. You can't have my finances. I don't want to live the way that you're telling me, Lord. I'm not interested in living biblically. I'm interested in living paycheck to paycheck. I'm interested in hoarding money, saving money, whatever it is. That, that whatever it is, I, I, Lord, I'm not going to do it your way. I want to do it my way. They're willing to give Jesus every area of their lives except their finances. What about you? Does he have your finances? Is, is what you have his? Or is it yours and you're not parting with it? You see the difference. Now, I want to share for a moment, because if you've been in church, you've been taught about a tithe. You've been taught 10%, and then you've heard pastors harp on it, and you've got to give 10%. And some churches require that you give 10%. I've even heard churches that want to see your tax returns to make sure you give 10%, and all that kind of crazy stuff. Listen, there is a biblical tithe in the Old Testament. Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek. The Israelites would give 10% of their first fruits, but that wasn't all they gave. If you added up all of what they gave throughout the year, it was somewhere about 23 to 25%, something in there. But somehow this 10% has been transferred to the New Testament church and said, all of a sudden believers are supposed to give 10%. And I have a problem with that. Because number one, it's not found in the New Testament anywhere. Nowhere does Jesus say, give 10%. What he does tell us to do is give cheerfully. What Paul does tell us to do is, is prepare your gift ahead of time. Don't give emotionally. He's telling us here to give willingly. So as you search the scriptures in the New Testament, you're not going to find a mandate to give 10%. But here's the problem with it. And here, here's why the 10% number doesn't work. Let's just say that you're out there and you're working every day. And let's say you make $25,000 a year. That's your salary. That's your income. And you can use whatever number you want in here. Let's say it's $25,000. That means you make about $480 a week. And let's say you've got a wife or maybe you've got a kid or you're a single mom and you're trying to make ends meet on $480 a week. And you go to church and the pastor says, you've got to give 10%. That's before taxes, by the way. You've got to give to the Lord first. And you go, well, that means I've got to give $48 of my $480 a week. If I give $48 of my $480 a week, that's only $432, whatever it comes up to be. That, that's, a, that's a big number to give. That might be a, a couple of meals. That might be some food. And the pastor can put you under this burden. And say, I've got to give my $48. Otherwise, I'm not being right with God. So let's say that a week goes by and you can't give $48. And all of a sudden you feel like, oh, I've robbed God. I've cheated him. I didn't give him my $48. Or you're giving him $48 unwillingly. Or you don't really want to do it, but you feel like you have to. You see, the difference is $48 to someone making $25,000 a year or making $480 a week is a lot of money. It's 10% of their income. It, it, it will affect their lifestyle dramatically if they give 10%. And God bless them if they can, if they do. If they're willing to make that sacrifice, they will be blessed abundantly. And I would encourage them to do, give as much as they can. But here's the problem with 10%. Let's say you make a half million dollars a year. You go, yeah, that'd be pretty nice, wouldn't it? All my problems would be solved. No, they wouldn't. But let's just say you do. Let's say you make a half million dollars a year. That means you'll make about $9,615 a week. Anybody have any trouble living off that? I think we could do just fine, don't you? Oh, I'd give 10% if I had that. 
Okay, if you gave 10% of your $9,615, bucks. That means you would have $8,654 to live off of. Could you live off of the $8,654? Yeah, I could do that. Probably do that, live off that for a month. I don't need it for a week. Just give it to me every other week. I'll be good. You say, I could do that. But do you see the problem with the 10%? So the guy that's making a half million dollars a year goes, yeah, I gave 10% to the Lord. Woohoo! That's nothing. You gave $961 a week. That doesn't even change your lifestyle. But you kept $8,654 for yourself. Maybe the Lord wants you to give 20%. Maybe he wants to give you to give 30%. Maybe he wants you to give 50%. And you could still live off $5,000 a week. You see, when we plaster that number of 10%, we take that biblical tithe and we smatter it across the board and say, everybody has to give 10%. I think we put a burden, a yoke around some people's neck we put a checkbox in front of some people's bank account says, I'm pretty good, I gave 10%. But you really gave nothing. You didn't give, you didn't give, you gave out of your excess. You didn't give out of what you needed. It didn't cost you anything. So my personal belief is 10% is a good average. It's a good place. It's a good place to be. There's nothing wrong with it. My personal life, I usually give more than 10% every year. And it, it varies depending on what the Lord would have me give that year. It's almost always more than 10% of my income. But for you, here's what I want you to take away from it. It's between you and the Lord. You pray. You say, Lord, what do you want me to give? And I'm going to encourage you. I do that every year at the beginning of the year. And I, Lord, what do you want me to give monthly? And I will give it monthly every month, whether it's there or not. Whether I can, I, the commitment is more important than the amounts. He wants the relationship. He wants to see that you're giving joyfully. If there's no joy in your giving, if there's no commitment and you're just, you're giving to get God off your back or to feel like you've done a good job in front of a pastor or somebody else, you're probably better off keeping it. Do you understand the heart of this? I know that this has been misrepresented in churches. It grieves me when I go to a church and the service is all about getting more money. All about getting more, getting more, getting more, getting more. I understand how pastors have misrepresented this, but I also understand there's a need. The church needs to function. The church needs to grow. But I look at our church and I say, wow, we've never taken an offering and we're financially blessed. If everything stays status quo, we're going to pay off our mortgage by the end of the year. That's incredible. We've never had to ask for anything. Not a thermometer on the wall, not a pledge card in a bulletin, nothing. Why? Because I believe the Lord will tell his people, those that are seeking him, what they need to give to him. And I believe that you as his people and me as his people will respond faithfully because it's between him and us. I also have to tell you, just to be honest, I don't know how much you give. I don't know if you give. I don't count the offering. I don't do that. I don't want to know who gives what. I'm human. If you wrote a $20,000 check, let's make it, like you wrote a million dollar check. So I'll pay off the mortgage today. It's not that much, by the way, but you still do a million if you want. And you leave it in the offering box, okay? When they collect it, they're going to tell me, hey, somebody put a million dollar check in the offering box. I don't want to know who it is. I don't want to know. Because I don't want, I want you to be doing it for the Lord, not to impress me or to impress the church. You won't get a seat with your name on it. We won't, put a, uh, we won't name the building after you. We won't do any of that stuff. It'll be between you and the Lord. And you can give to him. And you, know, you can know, too, that if you give to him through our church, nobody knows about it. When I have that yearly meeting, we don't have an award for the highest giver. We don't, we don't, none of that information ever gets out. That's the only people that know about that are the ones that collect the offering. It's, it's personal. It's between you and him. Because only between you and him do you really know what you're giving. Oh, it, that's, where the, that's where it lies. That's where the relationship lies. So it bears repeating. 
the Macedonians were able to give beyond their means with a joyful heart in the midst of tribulation. How did they do that? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. It was more important they gave their heart to God. That's what happened first. Then the giving came out of that. Look at verse 6. Paul says, So we urge Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Titus was Paul's fellow worker. He's the one who carried this letter to the Corinthians and carried the first letter to the Corinthians. We're going to find out in the coming passages later on in this chapter, Titus was supposed to take up an offering for the saints in Jerusalem, for the believers in Jerusalem. As the, as the conflict arose between Paul and the church in Corinth, it got sidetracked. It got put off to the side. And now Paul's encouraging them to finish or complete this grace. This plan was derailed when the tension between Paul and the Corinthians increased. He's going to talk more about it in the coming verses next week. But i got to make a pause for a moment. There's many times in our lives where we think about giving. We talk about giving. We plan on giving. And then for whatever reason, something happens. Maybe we get an unexpected bill. Maybe the car breaks down. Maybe we just forget about it. Whatever the thing is, whatever the unexpected thing is, our intention was good, but it never gets done. It doesn't count as giving. It's not the thought that counts. It counts that you have to carry through. You have to fulfill the obligation. Complete the grace, Paul is saying. Follow through with what we talked about. We need the same encouragement, don't we? I also believe, and let me just kind of go on another little sidetrack here. When we, because we don't give out of emotion, we don't watch TV and see the animal that's going to die or the kid that's hungry and go, oh, now I'm out for, you know, for a dollar a day and the cost, cost of a cup of coffee. No, no, don't, don't, don't give. To, don't, don't. Here's what you do when you see that. If you feel the need or the urge, the emotion to give, stop and pray about it. And pray about it for a week and see if it's still on your heart at the end of a week. Or is it like an emotion? It's here today and gone tomorrow. I feel good today, I'm bad today. Happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad. Up, down, up, down. That's, we don't give when we're up. We go to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to give to? What do you want me to support? It's quite possible if one ministry is pulling you emotionally and you're giving to them, you really would be better off supporting another ministry because that's where the Lord really wants it to go. But because you see this one that's calling for you or writing you newsletters or telling you the roof's going to fall in for whatever reason, I've got to give or the animals are going to die or whatever it is, you're giving emotionally. You see, as believers, we have to be good stewards of what we have. Go to the Lord. Lord, where do you want me to give? I do believe that we should give to the churches. It's where we get fed. If this is your home church, you should give here. But it's between you and the Lord. You should faithfully give here because it's, you're supporting the ministry and the work here. But the time will tell. Time, let some time pass. It'll tell the true heart of what you're doing. Are you being pulled emotionally? Or is it something the Lord's calling you to do? Verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. In other words, giving is just like every other part of the Christian life. It's not separate. It goes right along with faith, speech, knowledge, and diligence. Paul would encourage them to give, and he would encourage us to give as well. If you have a problem and you say, well, I just don't like giving to the Lord. I just, I just don't want to do that. No different than anything else in your life that you see that's biblical. You would say, Lord, help me. Soften my heart. Teach me. Show me. Tell, tell me more, Lord. In instruct me. Help me change. Because once you realize it all belongs to him, and once you realize what you've been given in salvation, 
that your sins have been forgiven, that your sins are, that you don't have to stand before him someday. Once you realize that the very breath in your lungs belongs to him, the job that you have, the intelligence you have to get it, all came from him. He created you that way. It should be really easy to give back. It's all his anyways, because he can take it in a moment. In a moment, it could all be gone. In verse 8, Paul tells us that he's not commanding them, but he's testing their faith, because giving should never be out of commandment. He says, I speak not by commandments, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. In other words, Paul's saying, when I look at the Macedonians, I can see their love for the Lord. It's in their giving. I can see the fact that they gave beyond their means. I can see the sincerity of their love by their giving. Do you know that your love for the Lord can be seen in your giving? Your love for yourself is seen in what you keep for yourself. Just being brutally honest, that's true. And I don't say it to make you feel guilty. The things you value in life, what you care most about can be found on the pages of your checkbooks, on your credit card statements, and in your deposit slips. You want to know where the heart is? Look at the bank accounts. Look at the credit card bills. See where it's going. See where your money goes. It'll tell you what you're worshiping or who you're worshiping. I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I said to be honest, brutally honest. It's true of my own life. There's been times in my life where I've had to look at my own life. And if I want to know where I'm focused, I can look at my credit card bills. I can look at my bank statements, checkbooks, where, however you spend your money. See where it's going. It'll tell you what your focus is. <coughs> the voluntary generous sacrificial giving modeled by the Macedonians was an example to the church in Corinth and it's also an example to us. It is also the path of experiencing God's rich blessings in this present time when you give you're blessed by it but it will also benefit you into eternity. It will last forever. But why should we give Rob? You said God doesn't really need our money. What's the purpose? I don't really don't really it's my money. I earned it. I know you said God gave me my brain and God gives me my health. That's my money. I earned it. Why should I give? Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, put your name in there, yet for Rob's sake, he became poor. That Rob, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus gave all of himself so that we could be rich. And he's not talking about dollars and cents. He's talking about spiritually. He's talking about eternally. Giving is a work of God's grace in us. When you realize what you have, giving comes naturally. When a believer is giving beyond what they are able, like the Macedonians were, find somebody who's giving beyond what they are able, and you will know that God's done an amazing work in their heart. You can just see it. It'll, it'll be evident in not only their giving, it'll be evident in so many other areas of their life as well. Because God's done something amazing. I want to share a story with you. It's a story is told of a Persian monarch, king. He reigned in opulence and splendor, living amid the wealth and the comfort of the royal palace. Had everything he wanted, yet his concern for the common people, he cared about the people he ruled over. He frequently drove him to dress as a poor man. 
He would leave the palace and he would mingle with the lowliest of his subjects. One day he visited a fireman whose job was to heat the water in the bathhouse. Dressed in tattered clothes, the Shah descended a long flight of steps down to the tiny cellar where the fireman sat by himself on a pile of ashes, just simply tending to the fire. The ruler sat beside him, and the two men began to talk. At lunchtime, the fireman shared his humble meal of coarse bread and water with his guest. Eventually, the king left, but he returned again and again. His heart was filled with sympathy for the lonely man. The fireman opened his heart to his kind, compassionate friend, who always gave him wise counsel. Finally, one day, the king could not bear to keep up the pretense any longer. He decided to reveal his true identity to his friend. He then asked the poor fireman, Name a gift that I can give you. Anything you want, just name it and I'll give it to you. To his surprise, the poor fireman said nothing, but merely sat looking at him with love and wonder. Thinking that he had been misunderstood, the king offered to make the fireman rich, elevate him to the nobility, make him a ruler over a city. The fireman replied, Yes, my lord, I understood you. But leaving your palace to sit here with me, to partake of my humble food, and listen to the troubles of my heart, even you could give me no more precious gift than that. You may have given rich gifts to others, but to me, you gave yourself. I only ask that you never withdraw your friendship from me. This parable illustrates the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where the poor fireman, heaven's king, left his glorious throne to come to earth and become a friend of sinners. Is that not amazing? Unfortunately, many Christians today, many churches, what do we seek after? King, I want you to give me. Give me financial wealth. Give me physical healing. Give me, give me, give me. In doing so, we miss the friendship that's available to us. We miss the relationship of the glorious king who stepped out of his, off of his throne to come to earth and be with us. Our relationship with our Savior can quickly turn into what he can do for us rather than the relationship he wants to have with us, the friendship that he desires with us. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> we're going to sing together <coughs> Amazing Grace, because his grace really is amazing. And the guys are going to pass out the communion elements together. And as we're singing that song, the elements are going to go around the room, and I want you to hold on to them. I want you to take them in your hand, and I want you to look at them and remember that the bread represents the body that was broken. The juice represents the blood that was shed. And I just have to share a couple of things before we partake in communion. The only requirement that is in this church to partake in communion is that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you've given your life to Christ. You don't have to be a member of our church. But you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul warns us that if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that you could be drinking judgment upon yourself. And I know that when we take communion, there's always those people who say, I'm not worthy. You're right. You'll never be worthy. You're only worthy because of what he's done for you. And if you've had a rough week, 
Perhaps it's been, perhaps you've said some things that you shouldn't have said. Perhaps you've done some things that you shouldn't have done. Perhaps you've made some mistakes that you shouldn't have made. I just want you to know, the friend of sinners wants to commune with you. Don't let your guilt keep you from communing with him. If you've been away, there's no better place to be than at the communion table with the Lord. You see, when we fellowship with him, it's him and us. It's like the king that sat with the fireman and gave him good advice. We take his grace. He did what we couldn't, which is providing a way for us to be with the Father through the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross. So during that last song of Amazing Grace, just sing if you would. If you want to pray quietly, that's up to you. Um, I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. So Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. As we take these few moments, as we get ready to close out our service today, may our hearts just be focused on you and what you did, realizing that you're the friend of sinners. You're the one that stepped off your throne and wants to sit with us. May we not burden you with so many wants and needs. May we just be blessed by the fellowship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.